This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 18, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Freedom of speech may have broad support, but only before you pull back the veil of ignorance. Once Americans know who is speaking, the support for free speech often drops dramatically. Nadine Strawson, former president of the American Civil Liberties Union and professor of law at New York Law School, says free speech needs defenders as so few people defend speech they find personally bothersome. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Constitution Day festivities held yesterday. I would say there is an even more pronounced tension if you just look at free speech issues, and it can be explained by the title of a book that Nat Hantoff, who of course is now affiliated with Cato Institute, wrote a number of years ago, and it was called Freedom of Speech for Me, But Not for Thee, a subtitle, How the Left and Right Relentlessly Censor Each Other. And I think really what it comes down to is people really strongly believe in freedom of speech for people like them, for ideas that they support, but not for people they dislike or ideas that they dislike. So it's true that many liberals, as well as many others in this country, support restrictions on speech for certain speakers because of the form in which they're organized. And that includes not only corporations, but let us not forget unions. It's kind of odd that liberals, with their historic support for the labor union movement, every time they support so-called campaign finance reform, which is a real misnomer, of course, uh, that they are stifling speech by unions as well as as evil corporations. Presumably, they don't see unions as evil. But in addition, if you look at uh, liberal support for censoring speech by anybody, even individuals, uh, that extends to ideas that they dislike. So um, starting, uh, I guess, about 20 years ago now, uh, there was a very strong movement, which is still ongoing, to suppress what is called hate speech on campus and in workplaces and in other contexts, and that continues to be supported by liberals. Another example, violence on TV. It's true, liberals tend to be uh, less concerned about sex in the media, but they're very concerned about violence in the media. And we're all behind the, uh, the V-chip and, and other measures to um, uh, cut back on or punish violent imagery or expression. So it's it's hard to find anybody who is truly neutral the way the Supreme Court has said is the core command of the First Amendment free speech clause that, uh, above all else, government must remain neutral to the viewpoint or the content of any expression and never has power to suppress that expression merely because the viewpoint is considered offensive or evil or dangerous, even by the vast majority of the community. Justice Kennedy, in some respects, has been described as something of a libertarian and in areas where speech is involved has been, I guess, more clear in that area than elsewhere. How has he changed, do you think, the jurisprudence that uh, exists in the United States regarding speech issues? I would have to say, with all due respect for Justice Kennedy, and I do think on the whole, if you're counting the number of pro-free speech rulings, he's probably number one. But his weak spot, along with that of many conservatives, is 
but not all, um, is is sexual expression, and he has been more willing to support suppression of uh, sexual expression than 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 um, uh, of other kinds of content. But where, where has he done that specifically? Uh, in cases involving, he certainly didn't do it. He wrote a fabulous opinion in uh, the so-called virtual child pornography case, um, but uh, in cases involving, and I know he was also good on the so-called secondary effects doctrine, the nude dancing case. So maybe, you know, in, in fairness, even in the realm of sex, he's had some very good pro-free speech rulings. But when it came to, um, it was a case called City of Erie versus Paps, um, upholding a complete outlawing of uh, nude dancing, even on, on, a, on a pretext uh, that there was some adverse secondary effects, which is laughable. And I think if you're going to, for some reason, you don't like that kind of expression, I think it would be more straightforward and do less damage to First Amendment jurisprudence in general if you would just say it doesn't come within the First Amendment. But in some ways, it was the worst of both worlds to say, yes, it is within the free speech doctrine, but because of possibly increasing crime or decreasing property values that's a sufficient with no evidence at all that those were the effects by the way so you know it's i had to you had to pause for a while to find a bad mark for justice kennedy um on the other you know justice uh thomas has been great actually even in that area the only reason the aclu ultimately won ashcroft versus aclu which was the challenge to the child online protection act censoring online expression uh we got um we got uh, Thomas's vote, as we did not get Breyer's vote. Again, that's a good example of a liberal who is pro-regulation to protect children, willing to empower the government uh, to suppress free speech for all of us, not to mention interfering with parents' own rights to make their own decisions about the education and upbringing of their children. Uh, I was told, um, I have no idea how credible it is, that Justice Thomas changed his vote from how he was initially going to vote. So that's a little bit scary that that was five to four. I know this is a little sensitive for lawyers, but given uh, how the court has moved and the questions that were, were raised in the Citizens United case, mm-hmm. the potential for opening Austin back up, mm-hmm. uh, what is the range of, of what you think is likely what the court may do in the, the Citizens United case, the so-called Hillary the movie case? It's... I, I can't read the tea leaves. Obviously, the court has a long tradition of saying that it's going to engage in judicial restraint and decide cases on the narrowest possible ground. Uh, and, and it's done that in some other First Amendment cases recently. That's what happened with FCC versus Fox. Uh, where the court just ruled on a very narrow issue of administrative law and docked the very big First Amendment issue, even acknowledging, as Justice Scalia did in his majority opinion, that we will at some point have to confront that issue, maybe in this very case, but not now. Uh, They could take the same kind of narrow tack in uh, the Citizens United case. The U.S. government is certainly strongly advising the court to do that, uh, 
giving them kind of a blueprint for how the government would prefer to lose if we have to lose, to quote the Solicitor General during oral arguments, that we'd rather lose on the statute being interpreted less strictly than we're interpreting it than have either McConnell or Austin, worse yet from the government's perspective, overturned. Um, the ACLU uh, filed a relatively narrow brief in that we didn't address the Austin issue um, as to whether, I guess all of your listeners know that that was a Supreme Court decision that um, held that corporations and unions uh, could be barred from engaging in express advocacy through their general treasury funds. Uh, The McConnell case, the portion of the McConnell case that we are asking the court to overturn is the section that outlaws so-called electioneering communication Communications, what many people think of as issue ads that are not advocating for or against the election of a candidate, but simply mention the name of a candidate in uh, the most important media during the most important time for that kind of political expression on issues, namely in the period before a campaign when people tend to be paying attention to issues. Uh, as a result, the ACLU is strictly nonpartisan under our own governing charters. We, it would violate our own internal rules if we ever engaged even in an implicit endorsement or opposition to a candidate, yet we're always advocating on civil liberties issues and in that context calling on various government officials or candidates to take actions pro-civil liberties and not to take actions anti-civil liberties. As a result of that law, it literally became a crime for the ACLU to take out radio ads that we can't afford TV, to take out radio ads as we had been doing, uh, urging, this was uh, in the uh, run-up to the uh, sunsetting of some uh, sensitive provisions in the Patriot Act that we felt violated people's privacy and free speech, among other fundamental rights, we literally could not call upon the President of the United States or those who were seeking to become President of the United States uh, to vote against the reauthorization of those provisions of the Patriot Act. That literally became a crime. And I think most people, when they talk about McCain-Feingold and campaign finance reform, it never enters their consciousness that that's how far this law extends. For a lot of people, I was a little shocked and amazed at that time when issue advocacy became such a such an important part of, of uh, the ends of campaigns, is that a lot of people who supported campaign finance reform, instead of viewing this as a scrupulous attempt to follow the rules, views it, viewed it as exploiting a loophole in the law the i guess a free speech loophole exactly and there and the point is there is always going to be a loophole quote unquote it is the first amendment the supreme court because the first amendment imposes some limits that even the most ardent regulators acknowledge. For example, why have they decided to make exceptions in the law for media corporations? I think it's because they, I I hope it's because they recognize that that would raise profound First Amendment problems. It might not be, as Justice Thomas has pointed out in his dissenting opinions, uh, the arguments that they make for restricting the speech of other corporations, including, by the way, not-for-profit, nonpartisan corporations such as the ACLU. There were arguments that they raised for suppressing the political speech of unions would apply equally well to media corporations, especially in an era where media corporations are conglomerates that are 
engaged in producing widgets as well. Uh, and I think, you know, the, uh, the the shocking nature of the government's position, I think, was highlighted during oral argument first time around when the government was forced to acknowledge that the same rationale would justify uh, banning and out- criminalizing a book uh, that, about a candidate uh, in the season running up to elections. Nadine Strawson is a professor of law at New York Law School. She led the American Civil Liberties Union from 1991 to 2008. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Constitution Day events held yesterday. You can listen to the forums and order a copy of the new Cato Supreme Court Review at Cato.org.